Are you living with or experiencing some theological, spiritual or halachic tension or struggle in your life and are looking for a confidential, non-judgmental, emotionally intelligent and source-based rabbi and coach to share Torah wisdom with you? If so, then you'll be interested in my new discovery package. Book a 30-minute, no-obligation discovery call with me, during which you can share what is on your mind, then hear what I propose as a personalized spiritual coaching package that will meet your needs. To book your free discovery call, simply visit rabbijohnnysolomon.com forward slash discovery. I look forward to talking with you. about religious Zionism. Some people have asked me, RZ is religious Zionism, uh, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. My name is Ruben Spolter. Let's do it. We haven't done our bios in a, in a, in a while. So first, let's introduce uh, Harabini Malibravsky. Hello, Harabini Bravsky. I'm well. How are you doing? How are you doing? As well. Shlomi okay. Kishlom Ami, as everybody is saying these days. Yes. That's what they say? Oh, I, I think when they ask me, I say, Benisibota Matzav, you know, yeah. that's what I say. I don't know, mm-hmm. whatever. But if we have to, we haven't done our bios in a while. Mali Brovsky teaches Tanakh and Machshebet Israel, and is an in-house social worker at Mechlelet Mivaseret Yerushalayim, a.k.a. MMY. She has a <coughs> private practice in Gush Etzion and supervises and teaches at Hebrew University for the Wurzweiler School of Social Work. We also have with us Harab Johnny Solomon. Hello, Harab Johnny. Hello, and good to see you both. Yeah, it's been a long time. It's been, a, it's been a while. To our listeners, we are sensitive about the fact that we are not publishing as often as we might like, uh, but there's a war, so sorry. We're doing our best. Uh, Rav Johnny Solomon is a lecturer for Herzog College, LSJS, and Melton, and he works as the ampersand virtual, no, not hashtag. ampersand, how do you say it? Uh, the hashtag. hashtag virtual rabbi, offering online spiritual coaching, halacha consultations, and terrorist studies, study sessions to men, women, and couples around the world. Beyond this, Rabbi Johnny writes a popular daily insight on Dafyomi, which you can find on the Facebook. He volunteers for Tzohar, and he is a posik to his local shul in Evan Shmuel. Johnny, any new uh, job since then? Anything you want to announce to the world? Working on something. I'll let you know when it happens. Ooh, mystery. Okay, I am Ruben Spolter. I direct educational programming, uh, program development for English-speaking countries at Herzog College. I help people improve their Jewish status at Irgun Rabbi Sohar, and I teach Torah to middle school, middle school children around the world, literally, it's quite cool, for Kita. Um, so uh, it's been a while, and as, as we mentioned, I don't know, people, our listeners probably are aware that there's a war going on in Israel. And one of the issues that has really uh, t- caught my attention, or our attention, is what we would call the, a sort of uh, dissonance or disconnect between diaspora Jewry and Israeli Jewry. Now, this has been a topic on, on, uh, you know, on the social media and in discussions, but we want to talk about this not from the perspective of different values and uh, you know, uh, things of that nature, but rather 
how has the war and how affected the uh, perspectives and the outlook of these communities? And in a way, ha has it caused a sort of divergence uh, between our communities so that now when we talk about things, it's very difficult for us to, to really be talking about the same thing. Even though we care about the same things and use the same language, we might be talking, talking very, very differently. So I'll just start, I'll give it a preface by saying that um, like, you know, I, I talk to in my job in Herzog and even in, in SOAR, basically in all my jobs, I, I talk to people around the world all the time. And I had the privilege of representing Herzog at the LSJS, the London School of Jewish Studies um, Day School Conference in London last week. So I had the opportunity to be in London. And, you know, it's so interesting. When you, when you, I walked into Shul, near Israel, in Hendon, and, and it, it's, uh, for all, you know, the, the davening is the same davening. Even, I would say, their mishaberachs are more intense than our mishaberachs. Mm -hmm. I say a mishaberach for Tzahal every day, and they say the tefillah every day. And clearly, people are, they care terribly, they care deeply, they care passionately about uh, what's going on in Israel. And I find that deeply moving. Moreover, when I talk to educators uh, about how they're experiencing this war and how they're teaching about this war, one of the things that came up almost immediately was that this is different than any other, um, I would say, Israeli engagement vis-a-vis -vis schools and kids in Chutz Laaretz. Because it used to be, I, I sort of remember, I remember when there was a war like the Milchemet Lebanon Arishon, one of the Lebanon wars, I was a young, a young child, I mean, kind of knew that there was a war, but, but it was distant. It was over there. You, like, you had your daily life, and it was, not, it was something that we knew about and daven for, but it wasn't really connected to us. Whereas nowadays, first of all, on the, from upper middle school up, all the kids have social media. So they're reading about it, they're hearing about it, they're sharing videos, they're sharing things that they know about. They're all davening, of course, in the same way. But more importantly, especially in our community's schools, uh, they have shlichim. So in many of the schools, the shlichim, male shlichim, just left. So they know somebody in the war. Secondly, many of the communities now have chayalim bodedim. So they have someone in the community mm -hmm. they know that's on the front. And at the very, very least, there is someone Israeli in most, the vast majority of schools. So they all either have a classmate or they know someone. So it's really fascinating that in a way, this war is the most personal war for these communi for communities in Chutzlaretz. I don't know anyone who doesn't know someone who, who, who's serving in Gaza. You know? So even though, for, in a sense, they're distant over there, in a very real way, it's much more personal than it ever was. And at the same time as saying this, it's clear that like, you know, if you go to Chutzlaretz, so it, it, like, we're still, like, in, in a sense, it's really interesting, we're still sort of keyed in to Israeli media. You know, and you're still keyed into your Israeli WhatsApp, and I'm still keyed into my Facebook. But as time goes along, you're more minutak. You're more, you are still more, minutak is a Hebrew word for like unplugged or disconnected. And so it's impossible to experience the war in Chusar, no matter where you live, the way we experience it here. It's impossible to understand how all-encompassing it is. It's impossible to understand how it's everywhere in the news, on the radio, in the grocery store. And it's not just that we daven in the shul, but soldiers are passing through all the time and they're carrying their guns. And there's just a, there's a, just a constant awareness that this is part of our lives now and will be for the foreseeable future. And that being said, 
I sense, I sense, and I'll explain how after we t- I talk to, after this long introduction to talking to Molly and Johnny, I sense that we're experiencing this war in a fundamentally different way, and that it's, it, 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 it represents, I would say, um, a, a demarcation point, like a junction at which our two communities, for those watching on the Facebook or on the YouTube, are sort of like parallel and, and, and slowly drifting apart. As much as we want to be together, we're slowly moving in different directions. And I, wanted to, I, want us, I want to spend this time that we have together thinking about, talking about, A, am I right? Is that sense correct? And B, if I am, how? And what, if anything, can or should we do about it? So I'm going to start with Molly and just get your reflections. And each of us will try to think of an example mm-hmm. of how this is manifesting itself. And then uh, you know, we'll try to think about implications in the second half of our, of our talk. Okay. Okay, Molly, what do you so, think? Yeah, Am so I right? Least, first of all, I think you're right. I think, um, I think um, you're, 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 I agree with you. I feel, I'm having the same feeling as you. Um, I'll just give you a very, very simple example that just jumped into my head. Um, so I have a friend who's very connected to the war, like, and she's very plugged in, and she's very intelligent, and she follows the news, and really, and she, okay, and this story's even more intense, because she actually just came here. She was visiting Israel, which also, quite to her credit, this is, I mean, not that, I don't mean that in a way that, like, people should, you know, that there's any, it's not a value judgment, but I'm saying it just demonstrates how much she cares about Israel, that this is her second trip, like, she was here with her husband on a mission, and now she's here again in January. She brought her kids during Yeshiva week. Um, so she was here, and Tuesday, and I'm sure the two of you remember, uh, last week was a very difficult day. It was the day after. There was a terrible, terrible tragedy, and uh, all told, 24 soldiers had been killed really the day before, but we all found out on Tuesday, 21 in a terrible tragedy. Okay, so... So I was in London, and it was terrible, okay. but I can't even so imagine then exactly. what it was like So here. that's what I want to say. So I spent mm. Tuesday... First, I went to, like, I had an appointment at... at um, at Misrat Apneem to get my passport renewed. You could feel it in the passport room. Like, everybody was more subdued. Um, everybody was kinder to each other. Everybody was gentler to each other. That was one way in which you felt it in the air. You felt it. I, I got into a ridiculous argument with a family member over absolutely nothing. We were screaming at each other about, like, quote-unquote, a political issue that we were on the same side about. Like, we weren't arguing. We were just screaming at each other at the top of our lungs um, just because it was a release of our nerves. It's literally like at 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, I spoke to my daughter who said something very insightful. She said that she was at a um, meeting in her in an agency that she's working at or, 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 you know, where she's doing an internship. And they were arguing about, like, the dumbest things. Like, should we have food in the meetings or should we not have food in the meetings? And, at a certain, and they're all social workers. So at a certain point, somebody said, I don't think we're arguing about the food. I think this is a really hard day and we should all just like take a breath and make this decision next time we have a meeting. Fine. I was wondering the same <laughs> it, thing about you. Yeah. You're so self-aware exactly. social worker. Exactly. No, of course I knew it. Of course I knew it. Like it was obvious. Like why are we, again, we were on the same team. We're not <laughs> arguing with each other. We're just talking really loudly at the top of our lungs. But it was, it was difficult. It was emotional. Fine. And then I called my friend um, who I was meant to meet, meet that day and I'm like, how are you? Or she said, how are you? I'm like, well, fu-, you know, her tone was completely like, everything's fine. And then I said, well, I'm okay, but today's a really hard day. And she went, oh, 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 of course. But she wasn't plugged in in the same way, even though she was here. So it wasn't even 
geographical. It, it was sociological, right? Now, again, I'm not criticizing her the slightest bit. It, she's, I have only positive things to say. But, but still, because she's not part of this culture, she wasn't plugged into the way in which we collectively feel things as a group. So I think that that to me is like a good example of what you're talking about. And it's not a judgment. It's just a description. Um, I, now in terms, so that's just like a facts on the ground thing in terms of like, um, the implications and, and things like that. I think, I think like, well, I have a few, you know, I have a few thoughts, but I don't want to take too long. So, so I'll say, no, we'll come back. To yeah, yeah. But I just we'll want to say one thing, which is, was, which is that one of the things that I think really, really is happening is that aside from the fact that there's natural difference because we're experiencing things differently, I do think that Israeli society is is maturing is growing is changing like something this war is moving us through a process right it started i have mentioned this when we discussed this you know a little bit earlier but like it started with a collective national trauma um it shook us up um collectively we we all i think came to a lot of realizations we all um went through a lot of similar emotional processes we went through a lot of similar if not all parallel cognitive processes and I think thing I think like we're changing as a culture as a culture on all these different levels of society um socially um again social bonds public conversation um it's definitely going to also have political ramifications but obviously we don't want to talk about that and that's not even my point my point is like ideologically, the way we just, a million and one fascinating ways we're changing. Um, and I hope, what I said to you guys, was I hope that what we see in Israel is post-traumatic growth, right? Meaning there's a lot of trauma growing on, going on, and there's a concept called post-traumatic growth, which is, you know, for, you can fall apart from trauma, which we all know, right? But you can also, um, if trauma is handled appropriately, you know, find a way to tap into resilience and strength and you can't you can't go back to who you were before so the question is what's going to happen to you right so hopefully you you you're gonna change so hopefully and i think the whole country is struggling with this like we don't want to go back to october 6th and that's like a phrase people use it's like oh my gosh that is so october 6th right people say that all the time um so we're we can't you can't you can't go back you can't turn back a clock i hope that I'm sure it'll be messy, and I'm sure there are some things that won't change. The same way we said things would change with Corona, and they didn't, or whatever. But I hope that there will be some that there will be some maturings that will happen in our society. But I think because of that, only we're going to get that unless we figure out, as you said, how to translate it. Yeah, and or unless I, I would like with the, the diaspora to be sensitive to that, because I think sometimes the diaspora Jews are not plugged into what we're going to and they're still talking either talking in language of october 6th or talking in their language of their october 7th or what they they think our october 7th post october 7th looks like and unless they understand that we're going through this process um there is going to be a disconnect that we're going to have to try to figure out how to overcome so i actually just want to mention you know especially having been in the united kingdom they're also going yes, through a trauma, absolutely. meaning the trauma that we, the trauma that we are experiencing is obviously on a different level, but it unleashed something, especially in England, yes. especially in Europe, to a, I would yes. say to a mm -hmm. lesser degree in America from no, what I can I tell, so. 
But, and I wouldn't but, want to minimize it, yeah. but it's a different but, trauma. I'm with, like, it's a different level. I'm not comparing levels of trauma. No, it's totally different. But it's a different, different we, it's, trauma. It's, just, exper- it's a different trauma, correct. which means also, which is a good point you're making, like we have to respect that they're also going to shift and their experience is going to shift. Like I was talking about, you know, Chutzlaret's understanding that Israelis are shifting, but what you're pointing out is a really good point. Like we have to also be open to understanding the experience of of, of communities in Chutzlaret and what they're, again, it's going to be different. And, and, and again, I do think it's less intense in certain ways, but certain things are very, are, are very real and very scary and very present. And we have to kind of um, be aware of that as well. Okay, Rob Johnny, um, as always, you waited so patiently. Do you agree with my and now Molly's hypothesis? And if so, could you sh- think of ways that you think it sort of manifests itself in your mind? So I agree in general, but there are exceptions. There are people who live outside of Israel who very much feel it, and there are a handful of people who live inside of Israel who choose not to. And it's important to note that, you know, I've been teaching this Herzl course, and in one of the classes, uh, uh, somebody who lives outside of Israel but whose son is fighting had to get a call because their son was calling. Like, don't we shouldn't imagine that simply because of exactly where you live, that's necessarily that you're automatically going to be plugged into certain emotions. And even if a visitor in Israel, part of the reasons, not all, but part of it is because we have made sure that we have a steady stream of nudges in terms of news and updates, local messages from communities about what's going on. If you're a visitor, perhaps you are less sensitive to or less plugged into. So I agree in general, but there are exceptions, and I think it's important for us to acknowledge that. Uh, just in regarding how things have been and how things are, um, and, and responding to Mali's point about uh, post-programmatic growth, it's coming up to the 10th yacht site of uh, my primary teacher, Diane Lopian, and I gave a share about him about 10 years ago titled The Growing Pains of the Death of One's Teacher. There is pain and there is growth, and I think there are certainly growing pains happening here in Israel. And I want to reflect just here on, on death, obviously, because there's been unfortunately a lot of it. And already for some months in a prominent part of my house, We've had a plug, you know, one of these Yizka plugs that often you have in synagogues or people may have on your site. We've had a plug permanently lit because there basically hasn't been more than a couple of days without news of the death of one or sadly, as we talked about last week, many, many soldiers uh, being killed or civilians in other, in other settings. And there is that sense that we are all in mourning and not just a sense in a theoretical, but in a very, very real way. Uh, just a couple of days ago, somebody asked me, uh, who was in actually mourning, their parent passed away uh, a couple of months ago, they asked me some questions about the laws of mourning. In fact, I opened up uh, Rabbi David Brofsky's book, uh, Hilchot Avelut, and one of the things we were discussing is, for example, if you're in mourning, whether you go to Kiddush, and there is there are different customs in terms of certain practices. Certain things are absolute, certain things are dependent on personal comfort and communal practices. But just as much as a person who is in mourning may, even if a book says it's okay, still feel a certain sense of discomfort to go to lavish kiddush, and by the way, uh, that's not necessarily my opinion whether they should or they shouldn't, but they may feel a certain disconnect to that uh, event. I think many uh, people in Israel and some people outside of Israel uh, are in that same sense that we are, we are, we stay away from things that could be 
considered to be just joyous because we're not in a state of joyousness. We are mourning. We're in not just a week of mourning or a month of mourning, but we're in many months of mourning. And those are very, very real, very, very raw. And they affect every decision we make. They affect what you listen to on the radio. They affect what you choose to read or not read. They affect the kind of things you wish to do or not do. You know, I was doing these uh, coffees with people before the war. I, I wished at some point to resume it, but I'm not prepared to go to a coffee house and just have a, a social coffee and take a picture. Not because I don't drink coffee, I do every day. But that's not where I'm at, and that's not where the mood of the country is at, and I'm sensitive to that mood. And uh, I feel that would be out of sync with where my heart is, or where my soul is. Johnny, if I can interrupt uh, you for a second, just to identify with what you said. Now that you mentioned, I don't even think about it anymore, how I'm being more selective. It's so interesting to me that, um, like, I, I used to really read Makor Rishon on Shabbat from cover to cover. And now mm. it's just all, like, a lot of it is the war, and a lot of it is, yeah. like, and I, 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 I don't. I avoid it. Like, in the podcasts that I choose... It's um, it's um, like I go for sports mostly. Sometimes I'll listen to something connected to Israel, but usually I just I can't. I can't. It can't be. It's so overarching. I kind of avoid it. Interestingly, and now you're mentioning it. We, my wife and I were watching a show on on Netflix last night. Uh, Lupin. You know, you ever heard of that show? The Lupin. It's a nice show about some. Oh, Molly, you would like it, I think. Okay, it's a French show about this guy who's like a, I don't know. It's kind of like a Robin Hood thing. Whatever. It had a it had a, um, a plot about a kidnapping. And my wife just mm. said, I can't, I can't do it. Mm. You know, and I said, like, this is the, like, I, I was able to do it. It's interesting. It didn't bother me. I didn't think about it in that way. But just like a lot of violence that, or, or plots of TV shows and movies that beforehand were just nothing to me. I, mm. Like, you just can't watch them because they're too real, too raw, they're, they're too close. And so it's interesting that you're mentioning these things and I'm thinking about how subconsciously I'm filtering and not even realizing how much I'm filtering in my day-to-day -day about what, you know, the things that we, we interact with all the time. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You have more on your list. By the way, this past Shabbat, and I read on Shabbat, but now, you know, obviously because of what's happened, a significant amount of the articles relate to what's been taking place. So what was I reading on Shabbat? I was reading an article about the negotiator who was outside and then became came inside the house of Rachel, the baker in Ofakim. Mm -hmm. very, very shout traumatic out that there was an article in the you know, show that my, my son was like, oh, that was, it was like this woman, I think she was a psychologist, and like seven tovanot she had, or ten tovanot when she went to Chanunis. Yehud was like, I was in that, in that shayara that took her in. And he just, she describes the first two things. She describes his being, like his shayara and his plugad. And she talks about playing the guitar and the loss of a friend. And that was Yehuda's commander. So mm. everybody wants, that's a great article, mm. but um, just this week. This it was week? like, was again, it was like Sheva tovanot or Esa tovanot, mi Chanunis. And uh, I didn't read the whole right. thing. And in that, fact, that, you know, I was going to... I said, I hope, and I hope we saved the article. Because... So one thing we're describing to our listeners, uh, what we try to do is share our experiences. Like, you can just hear how all-encompassing, like, you, you open the newspaper. You I mean, I'm look sure at the you picture. guys He's also... He's like, I'm in that picture. It's just that I'm cropped out. That's how, that's how mm. present it is. <laughs> but I'm saying it's so, right, personal for you. It's like your family. But I'm saying it's just so all the time in your face even the humor is about it the, you know what i'm saying that everything is about everything is about the words inescapable 
Johnny, I'm sorry. I just want to say just a couple more things. Firstly, just on that point, the very fact that the newspaper, I'm not really reading the news in the newspaper. I'm reading stories, first-hand stories. In this case, let's say, of this negotiator really risked his life. It was traumatic, and it's the first time he's really telling what's going on. And I was reading it, and my daughter said, what are you reading? I told her, she said, can you read it out loud? And I did. And, and so, and, and we all know what we're talking about. This is a shared uh, event, a national event, and uh, and she knows parts of the story. And then on a Friday night, I, my, my daughter's here says that she heard this other person speak. Meaning these stories are now p- becoming part of the fabric of discourse. You mentioned Friday uh, in, night. In homes Friday around night, the, world. the kids are coming home from the war now, and they're all standing outside of shul, and they're all like, you know, I, I don't know if I, I I didn't mention this to you. I was at a wedding, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a wedding of the of a cousin of mine. And he had just gotten out, literally just gotten out of like that week. And clearly he invited you know, like his pluga or whatever it was. I don't know, like a bunch of soldiers. And you could see that they had been on vacation and they came and then they and then they were seeing each other for the first time since like you could see the way they were greeting each other. And I have to say it was like overwhelmingly emotional to me to see the way these soldiers were embracing yeah, each other. Brothers. Like, mm-hmm. like, like brothers, but more than mm-hmm. brothers. And it's, it's almost impossible to describe the, the, that, like, I don't know, like, I've, I've never been in battle. And, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, like, but that, that camaraderie and that closeness and that connection that that brings. And here, these were not religious people. And this kid was a lot like the Khatan, long peyote. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like the whole shebang. And, and like, and the connection that these people have. And the implications that those yeah. connections will have are profound and fundamental. And I found myself just moved by the whole, the whole wedding was moving, just the experience of being at a chuppah when they're, like, it's just all over the place. The chuppah, when the, the chatan clearly, they, they had lost a couple of people, and he's from Odiel, and people were killed. And at the chuppah, before they sang, he had a poem and a prayer to mention people being killed and it's so visceral because now it's not some kind of korban it's like we're all crying mm. and then we're all dancing and 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 even now i'm getting emotional just just thinking about it how do you explain to someone how much more vivid and powerful these rituals that are embraced into the fabric of our religion are when they're there when they're that when they're mm. the actual thing they're not some copy of the thing that's, they're the yeah. thing Can itself. I, John, are you finished, or did you want to? I'm sorry. I'll say just. Think of something, but I want to let Johnny finish what he was saying. And then. Okay. Just, just one, just one more thing, because you were talking about how in the UK, and they were saying these very, very powerful and passionate filot, and that's very remarkable. Uh, you know, we mentioned well, in before. One show, one, I won't say in every shul I went to. Okay. That way. But I'm one of the poskim of of my shul, and. When obviously the war broke out, we 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 uh, because of the way the the building is structured, we we went to pray in the gunning. We div- divided our synagogue into two. We prayed in gunning for a few weeks because they have large mamadim, and that meant that the community was secure. And then we came back, but of course a lot of our members were fighting, and so we had a much more skeleton community. And we were trying to minimize basically the length of the prayers for for security reasons. And now, as we know, there's been basically a wave of soldiers who've come back from service. And during this period, we actually hadn't really added many prayers because just getting through, just turning up really was a success. Mm. 
And I said to the community recently, listen, I think it's time that we need to kind of introduce a couple more tefillot to recognize where they are. I said, listen, I, I know we don't need prayers to tell us where we are emotionally. You know, we got people literally with scars who are praying with us uh, and plenty with guns and plenty who have, have fought tooth and nail. But now that we're in a slightly more stable position, it's important for us to use that stability to now focus our prayers more. So now, uh, numerous communities who perhaps were either affected less or there were larger communities that there was still a stable amount of people, even when those went out to fight, they were able to do that even in that absence. But the very fact that you'd say a community in the south of Israel are only now starting to think about introducing more tefillah because things have been so unstable and the short answer is, here in Israel, you know, our community is defined by the street, right? By the shul, by the town, by the city. The shul is a small part of it. The shul is a microcosm of aspects of your religious living, but your real life is elsewhere. We don't need the shul alone to be telling us how we feel because we all know how we feel and say we're all in mourning and all doing lots of different things and the shul is almost catching up to the street right now at least where i am elsewhere if you for example living outside of israel you know your street you can't control right the street isn't yours and doesn't reflect necessarily your values and so the synagogue becomes something quite different so i'm quite sure that the potency of certain additional tilim and other things may well be more sharp elsewhere i get that and i we we thank every community and every jew for that we're very very grateful and every soldier so appreciates that sense that there is concern and love and prayers for their welfare but that also goes to show that the kind of tools and resources that we have here come from different places because the structure of community and the way in which the country is. Yeah, yeah totally. Now, point, point made. Um, so I just, I just what you said, and I want to connect, I guess, with the two things you both said, Ruby and Johnny. Um, I think that was a good example of like when, when you know, we're talking about, well, what's shifting here? Right? So you gave an example. The religious experience is shifting because, um, mm. for a lot of reasons, but you gave an example of like you felt it at the wedding, right? You felt, you felt how it, with Ishka you felt how, how, with the, tfilo, the words of the Tfilo. And I had a similar experience. There was somebody, maybe we had made a kiddush for somebody who had, you know, for whatever reason they made a kiddush. And he, he, the way he spoke was like, first he had to explain, you know, is it okay to have a kiddush during this time, right? It's exactly what with kind of what Johnny's talking about and he spoke beautifully but it's just like the religious experience is tied to the national experience and therefore if you're if you the we we feel it in a very unique way because of that religious experience um and and I think Johnny's also right and and that's something that Rav Salvatric talks about all the time where he talks about um ideally in Judaism the shul is not supposed to be the tefillah the Beit tefillah is not supposed to be the center of the religious experience he believes that Halakha is everywhere, and, and we're not supposed to have this like bifurcated religious experience where we have the place of the sacred and the place of the secular, and we come into the re religious place, and that's where we have our religious experience, and then we separate. However, I think when I taught this for many years, I've spoken about how that's different in Israel as, than it is in Chutzlaretz, where in Chutzlaretz, the shul is much more the center of the community, and in Israel, it's much less. And Israel, and Israel I think Israel has a lot to gain from models of America. We've spoken about that as well. Um, sure. But I think that's also like an example of of one of the, like what you said was just very correct, that like we, 
that that's that is a very uniquely Israeli religious reality. Um, and and I and again, like I, I don't want to get too far off, and this wasn't our topic. And as we said, other podcasts have maybe touched on this, but like what it means to be spiritual here and religious here is very different than what it means in Chutzlaretz. In Chutzlaretz... Uh, so I okay, want to get into that. I want to get into fine, that, but so, I want to come back to so that. I won't talk about that now, to. but that, you made me think of that. But the... the we'll, okay, we but I want to say one, we'll one more thing, which is the original thing I wanted to say, which kind of hit my head when you t- talked about that wedding, was the, another thing I'm really hoping is when you talked about how, like, the Plugash showed up and they're Dati and they're Chiloni, they're religious, they're secular, they're from probably from all over the world. The bonding that they had in, during the war when they were sitting in the same tank, and we've all read, you know, Chayalim talking about this experience, they're, they're sitting in the same tank or they're sitting in the same namer, you know, going the, the, the khir, the, the infantrymen, going in, in the troops, about to get out and run into a building. And they, they're literally responsible for each other's lives. They, their lives depend on each other. And they spend hours together. It becomes so irrelevant to them what people's religious status is, who they vote for politically. It's so irrelevant. And they, they, they really, like, they cut through all the nonsense and they, they're so much more able to be united and, 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 and connected. And my hope is, and we all hope this, and again, who knows what's going to be, is that they'll come back. Like, there's a lot of talk about how, like, they come back and they get depressed because they see, you know, on the front, um, unfortunately, a lot of these political bifurcations still exist and whatever it is. And they're like, we, we, that's not how we, we, we didn't feel that way. We were best friends with people who were totally different than we were. And I hope, I, I pray that they can bring that clarity about what really matters and that that will shift and mature Israeli society so that I'm not saying we can't, we should have different opinions. We should, we should be a world of, of people who, who, who um, express religiosity different, who vote politically differently, who have different ideas about, about how the state should look. But if we can maintain that sense of like, how, but we can tolerate each other's differences because underneath we realize that what's Ikar and what's Tafel, what's central and what's, what's um, less central and what's most essential is our connection to each other. And the Chaylim, they, the, the, they even started a movement where they like said to the, they like put up, they like said that these all like, everybody just shh, mm-hmm. if you can't talk nicely, shh. That was literally like, it was like, I, I thought it was a little bit too aggressive. It was like, like hashtag like, kukar, like shut up, which I thought was maybe to say it nice, more nicely, but I'm not going to criticize the Chaylim. But the point is like, the, the hope is like, they, I hope that they'll come out and that they will help engender this change. And that will be one of the, processes of growth that we go through that we like it, it, we, we we lost too much and they've gone through too much to forget what's really important so that's what you reminded me apropos that i don't know if you guys saw there was an article by micha goodman in mccorby shown about this idea he said that what did the miluim nikim go through and how yeah. we bring the miluim nikim experience mm. but i don't want to get into that it's a topic for another discussion very interesting we're going to take a quick break and after that, we'll come right back and continue with implications. Stay with us. So many Jews around the world are searching for a daily learning program that will bring them meaning and allow them to accomplish real learning in a reasonable amount of time. Hey, everybody. My name is Ruben Spolter. I live in Israel in Yad Vinyamit. And for a number of years, for many years, I've been teaching daily Mishnah and what's called the Mishnah Yomit program over YouTube. Mishnah is a wonderful way to have daily learning. It includes all of the knowledge of Shas. It's compact. 
you can cover it in a reasonable amount of time. If you fall behind, which happens to all of us, you can catch up pretty easily. And really, Mishnah is an incredible source of knowledge for, for Jewish wisdom. It's the, the source text of everything about Tarash Balper oral tradition. So I invite you to join me in this incredible project. So many people have reached out from around the world. We've had hundreds of thousands of views, hundreds if not thousands of participants. Make Mishnah Yomi daily learning a part of your life. Okay, we're back. Uh, I, I sort of want to echo what you guys said and give an example, uh, you know, for that I see from the other side, from people that I talk to. And, and I think that this also comes from, uh, the, from the media that we consume. Now, of course, like as Johnny correctly noted, you can be in Chusla Aretz and be, and be enmeshed in Israeli media, especially now. It's all digital. So interestingly, Israelis who are really primarily Hebrew speakers they get their media from Israel primarily. So they can, you can get every radio show, you can get every podcast. You can be 24-7 mm-hmm. in Israeli media if you really want to. But if you are not, you know, I would say, totally fluent and comfortable in Israeli media, then you have to have it translated for you. Then the media that you consume is your local media. You'll watch the telev- your local television. If you live in America, you'll watch Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or whatever it is. And you'll read the New York Times. Most people, I dare say, I'm sure many of our listeners are reading the New York Times if they live in America. And that being said, we all know that the media is biased. Whether it's biased for the right or biased to the left, we all know. So especially on the left, they cannot, they, they simply cannot and will not take Israel's perspective in this war. They, it's, even though in Israel there's a left and a right as well, what's going on in Yudiot Achronot, I'm going to put Haaretz on, totally on the other side, I'm not going to leave that alone, but what's going on in the mainstream media, even if there's fights and there's arguing, there's a fundamental understanding of the Israeli experience and Israeli uh, suffering and soldiers being killed and the need to prosecute this war. And that is not, not present at all in the New York Times. That sees itself as balanced and we have to see this and we have to see that. So that being said, you'll notice every single day, literally every single day, you're being bombarded with images of suffering in Gaza. You're being bombarded with how terrible the Palestinians are being treated. You're being bombarded with the fact that we're being accused of genocide all the time. So here it's considered a joke and considered embarrassing. But around the world, I don't know, we'll see, etc., etc. A thinking, caring person, a sensitive person, cannot be exposed to this message day in and day out and not be affected by it. It, it simply it, it, it affects your perspective. And you begin to wonder... Do they have to really be fighting so hard? How come so many people are being killed? And I'm talking about people that love and support Israel. It just creeps mm-hmm. into your consciousness and into your psyche. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be sensitive people. We should be sensitive people. But I'm sorry, we're prosecuting a war. And I don't have sensitivity for my enemies who want me dead. I'm sorry, I don't. And that, that's the experience that I'm having in Israel. And if you have trouble with that, well, this is RZ Weekly. Maybe this isn't the podcast for you. But that being said, if you have trouble with that, Ask yourself why. Ask yourself what media messages you've been hearing for the past 100 and... We're on day, what, 115 now? So they gave us maybe a week of... Uh, they gave us a week break after being massacred. And then for the past 100 and however many days, it's been, well, is it proportional? And why is all the killing? And all the media things that everybody knows about. So you could disagree with all of it. But being exposed to it all the time being over and over and over again affects you. And there's no way it doesn't affect you. And there's no way that doesn't affect your psyche. And, in, and, and I believe sort of implant a, a question mark, a wonder, sort of, you know, 
and, and I'm sure my um, very, very, very intelligent friends on the other side of the ocean will say, well, you're in it. You're biased. And the, my answer is yes. It's my family, my country, my mishpacha, and we're supposed to be biased because that's, that's the way we see things. And I don't think we're supposed to be objective when it comes to people trying to destroy the, the Jewish people. I don't, I don't think bias is necessarily a bad thing. And I think that that's something that I don't know how you solve. I don't know how you resolve because it comes from fundamentally the language and the culture that's embedded in where you live in Chutzla Aretz, that, it's almost, that unless you totally insulate yourself from, which nobody listening to this podcast does, it's impossible to avoid and it's impossible to, to undo. That's, that's something I've been thinking about for a while and mm-hmm. I don't really know how to resolve it other than learn Hebrew really well and start listening to Israeli podcasts and start reading Israeli media uh, you know, once and if you do that, you'll you'll just get a different perspective. And I'm not talking about English language, the Times of Israel, and Jerusalem Post, as great as they are. It's just not the same. Okay, I want to talk. I wanted to switch it, as I promised with Molly, um, we're about moving about moving forward, about the split, as we'd call it, and the different experience. And judging from the things that we said, Molly, um, I, I, it seems to me that one split. We've started to see, but I think it will become more pronounced is, I see the Israeli community, and I'm talking about the religious community, the religious Zionist community, becoming more Jewish and less, quote unquote, from, less ritualistic per se, less meticulous about the particular rituals it keeps, less machmer, etc., etc., but fundamentally more Jewish. And I see that the Chutzah Arts community, without that, what we would call, I, would, I, I think I call it just the color of the Judaism, without any of that, without the ability to be living that, in order to become more Jewish, the only way that can express itself is in a level of frumkite, in a level of chumrah, in a level of observance, in a level of meticulousness, etc., etc. And I see that split happening uh, fundamentally between our different communities uh, we already see it. We see it in the way people talk, in the way people think, in the way I would say people judge uh, you know, externalities. And I see that that's going to become m- more pronounced, that we're going to care less about these externalities, and they're going to care more about these externalities, and that will, can, that will increase the dissonance between these two communities. And I'm wondering, well, let's start with Johnny. I'm Johnny, what do you think about that? And is there anything to do about it? My experience is I disagree, meaning I, I think that there is a increase in you know commitment to and leaning in towards ritual here in Israel. I think there's an increase in leaning into and commitment to Israel and uh, ritual outside of Israel, basically both in terms of commitment to Israel and in terms of religious practice. There is a swelling uh, and people wish to explore more. Uh, we're going to see that there's there great there's greater interest of Jews around the world about Israel. Even if one is getting information from different uh, in, information sources, the average Jew outside of Israel who perhaps wasn't looking about what's going on in Israel uh, six months ago now is. Even if they don't have relatives here, because they feel much more invested. And uh, many Jews around the world, and especially in Israel. Uh, are wishing to explore more in terms of rich. I'll just give you one example. No, see, Johnny, one I agree example. With you. That's clearly true. That's clearly true. But I'm talking about 
the Frum community, my counterparts in Chutz Laaretz. And because clearly people who are feeling distant, they want to become more Jewish, and people in Israel want to become interestingly more connected to ritual. But I'm saying that our community, your counterparts, the people that are like our equals, say that you are your good friends before you made Aliyah, your educational colleagues, your rabbinic colleagues. Yeah. I'm talking mm-hmm. about Can I that. Just, uh, just and, jump in? And, say, and seeing that, because I'm talking I want I'd like shift. to hear what Johnny yeah, has to say. So I would like to sharpen Ruby's point so that if Johnny feels differently, or he can sharpen, because I would be actually be interested in that. Because I, I think, Ruby, I agree with you, and I think we've been seeing it for the past 20 years. I Like, teaching in a, in a midrashah, um, I, I've had this conversation numerous times with, Educators in Israeli midrashot and in American midrashot, right? Like, because whatever, there were years where I also taught in Israeli midrashot. And we've talked about how the Americans um, express their religiosity through, they see it through a, um, the best way to say, the, the most charitable way, they say, would be the halachic lens, a least charitable way would be an external lens, right? It's measured by how you dress and, and that's how you identify in terms of your community. Um, at, wait, wait, let me finish, let me finish. It's what you eat. Yeah, it's what, it's like, exactly. Eat. They come what, to Israel the, and they're like, oh, I'm do you eat Mahajan? And my Rebbe told me this and I can't eat this. And, the, and, and, and they're often quite shocked. They come to these Israelis midrashot and we all know, and again, this was, I think, the topic of another podcast, which I didn't listen to, by the way. I should, so I'm not criticizing it. I have not listened to it. But I think this was one of the point, points raised was like, Americans look at our teenagers and they look at the religious Zionist community and they're like, your kids aren't from, like... They're barely keeping sneezes. They have 16 piercings. And like at this, but by the way, this is a good example. It's like in the religious community now, piercings is not a sign of anything. Like it's as it's gotten to be like apparently that like a nose ring is like a sign of a religious girl. Like only religious girls have nose rings. Everybody else is like much farther than that. You know what I'm saying? So like that, right. Right. you know, yes, or like for the boys, it's like, do they wear tzitzis and or do, you know, whatever it is, however it expresses itself, right? For sure, we're seeing this at, but at the same time, the Israelis are much more spiritually connected, right? They're much more like, um, and again, let's say you see it at, let's say, a, a, a midrashah where you have American kids. They're like, why are you like to having like these sachnashes every day, like these deep spiritual conversations? And why are you singing until four o'clock in the morning every night? And and what's with all this, you know, chassidut and all these tishes, right? That could be like in a boys' shiva and probably in a girls' shiva and like, that everybody's got a guitar and a flute. Like, what is happening, right? There's like a very, <laughs> you know, and like, you'll, you, you know, that on Rosh Chodesh, whatever, you go up to Givara Chish, or not Givara Chish, Givara Tumusim, when it blossoms, and then you daven in the middle of like the, the fields. Like, what? Like, you guys are so weird, right? And they have to adjust to the Israeli mentality, which is much more plugged in to a certain spiritual, it's like a cer- certain spiritual wavelength. That's already been happening, and I agree with you. I think the war is exacerbating it. I think Johnny's... See, but you, Molly, you're talking about spirituality. I'm not talking about spirituality. I'm talking about if I see my service as a soldier, as part yes. of my Jewish experience, I don't no. need to compensate for exactly. it. Exactly. That's, that's the reason. I'm giving my body That's the reason. That's what Cook, Cook, Cook talks about it as, as like, if you're in Geula... So the, the, de- the, the small details are like candles. That when you're in the dark, you have to have these candles. So you have to like, you know, light these little candles in the dark, which are the rituals, right? That's like the Ramban, Siyunim Begola. When you come to Geula and you're holding up a candle in the middle of, the, of noon, right? It, it, I forgot, it's like a Shraga Batira or something, I think is the phrase, like a, a candle at noon. So like, what do you need a candle for? You've got the noon sun, like sh- 
shining in your face. And I think that is what our youth feel. They feel like our religious experience is not, the ritual is irrelevant because, you know, it, you're right. It's not just about the singing. Which in and of itself is a little dangerous. No, which also, is why it's complex, too. which is why both have what to, we have to figure out a way to unite these two values. But the point is that that's where this is coming from. It's like if I serve in the in, in, in Sahal and and that's my religious experience. And by the way, my Datlash, you know, friend or my totally Chiloni friend is also serving in Sahal. I, as the Chayal, they are Kedoshim, right? They are holy. And I don't mean Kedoshim. They're alive. They're holy soldiers. They are holy. They are God serving, right? And so like... And again, I think this is part of the shift. And I think Johnny's right. Like people are putting on more tzitzis and people are singing more, whatever it is. And there is a religious revival, but it's part of a, a much larger revival of like a godly revival, a service, uh, a reconnection to land, nation, and individuality. They, oh, they really like these chayalim, they really believe that they are in the service of the nation. Like mamash, that's what they believe. Like I, I, it's my job. So yeah, yeah, I'm going to go back. But my point is that like, this we made a we I know no, because I want I really to, want to hear Johnny's position. I really to, want to hear Johnny's answer, but I really want to sharpen <laughs> the point. Right? It's like this has already been happening, but this war is making it even more pronounced, both in the religious community. I think Johnny's right that like there's a movement in the whole country that's becoming more religious, but still this like orientation is this difference in orientation is certainly in the religious communities between Chutzlarts and Israel. That's gonna be it's a big like if, if they don't if, the, if if the Americans don't get us they really don't get what's flying, um, and and when the Israelis look at the Americans they also don't understand them so like and that 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 bifurcation I think is going to get sharp, sharper so now yes we, I think both of us want to hear Johnny's response. Right. So now you, you both have helped sharpen a little bit of where you are standing. I mean, I still stand by what I say where there's there's change in every area, but through what you said, it's crystallized the distinction. Uh, and again, I, I like both of you, I speak to people literally around the world and, and especially through the spiritual coaching that I work, work that I do. I have these kind of conversations with men and women uh, on a regular basis. Many Jews outside of Israel have taken on certain rituals and other things as part of almost a truma to Am Yisrael. As if, if you have money, they've given but even if they haven't got money, they put on a person who hasn't been putting on tefillin is putting on tefillin as if to say this is a spiritual truma for the schut of Am Yisrael. Somebody who's saying tefillin now as a spiritual truma, as a spiritual donation for the schut of Am Yisrael. And that's beautiful, by the way. It's absolutely gorgeous. If you're in Israel and you're already doing lots of things as a truma, if not volunteering or you're solving the army, you don't feel the need to give a truma. You're already giving the truma. You being there, your hands being dirty, that's already the donation. However, you're interested in change. You're interested in self-change for the sake of national change. And I had, by the way, an in a beautiful situation where often I get contact with people who I have a, a, some sense of who they are. I got a random message from somebody in Israel a couple of weeks ago saying, uh, I'm not going to mention their name. Hello, I'd like to talk. You have some questions about faith. Fine, we have some questions about faith. I didn't know who this person was. We fixed the time to talk, bless you. And, uh, uh, and then we had this kind of a, a, a Zoom call. And uh, Zoom call just shows how old I am. Zoom meeting. And uh, who is it? The young Chayal, 23, 24 years old, actually he's right now in his army uniform, wanting to know how to pray. He's not religious. He wants to pray. Now, he doesn't, 
He's not asking, how can I make a trumat to Am Yisrael? This guy's been serving, right? But he wants to know, I want to change, because uh, I want to make be an agent of change as part of the Jewish people here in the state of Israel. And I don't quite understand what is tefillah. And can you explain to me? And we've met and I've made it clear that I'll make myself available to him. Yeah. It's a beautiful conversation. Also, look, I love that distinction was, between was, like a true and, and he should not. Uh, it's a I, beautiful chiluk. I like that. Right, and I should I should make it clear as I'm not whatever. You know that I sometimes charge for certain people. When I was like, I said, I'm here for you anytime, any hour. Don't even you know this is. No this way! I say, John, it's your livelihood. If we have a listener that wants to sponsor hours for soldiers or people here that need it, Wonderful. contact Johnny, and and Thank that's you. a good way to. That'll do be it. very gratefully received. Either which way, though, I made it clear to this Chayal. <laughs> We're now in contact, as well as obviously the other people I support. I was actually in contact with parents of uh, kids who are fighting, and I'm, I've made I've made it clear already for yeah. some months that I made I'm available for any of them uh, if any, any they need. Just in case we've got listeners, uh, please know that that's uh, an option for you too. Tachlis, though, is, that's, I think that's a major difference. Outside of Israel, people want to donate almost their, their mitzvahs, their soul. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It, it's stunning. I want to, there's no, there's nothing other than beauty and appreciation for it. Inside of Israel, it's not the language of truma. Instead, it's a lashon, of, lashon the language of shinui, of change, of, of wishing to improve, wishing to almost discover parts of oneself, uh, because you've come to realize that there are dimensions of yourself that were latent, that have been stirred up by this war. And they've been stirred up sometimes through fighting, sometimes through mourning, sometimes through volunteerism, sometimes through this, that, and the other. And so that difference exists, what what does that lead to? I don't know exactly what it will lead to because there are more tefillin, more tzitziot, more tefillot being said here. There's more limut Torah, um, but it but it it comes as part of the fabric of Am Yisrael be'eretz Yisrael uh, and not limited to the world of ritual that we spoke about earlier on. Okay, I think yeah. that this is a good place Actually, to stop. Yeah, Mal, you want to add before we finish? Because sure. he just really helped me. Because if we're talking about bridging divides, what you said just now really, really helped me. Because I just had a conversation with a friend of mine. Um, I'm going to try to make this very quick and very kind of broad. But she has kids fighting in Aza. And there's somebody in, in Chutzlaretz who's basically saying to Hillem, and she wanted to know whether the kid was still in or out because, you know, her list of soldiers and... And like there was a dissonance between them, and like my my friend in Israel was sort of jarred because she was like, okay, so let's say he's not in Aza right now, he's on vacation, so you're going to take it, or you know, like he's on, you know, he's off for a couple of months or whatever, he's going to be off your Tehillim list. Like she didn't get it, and my friend in in America would it would never. Have, well, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. She's like you. Okay, so exactly. So my friend in America you know, was, to, okay. but I understood. I, 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 what Johnny just helped me with was really a be- it really helped me frame it. My friend in America, it's like she's saying to Hillim, her to Hillim, that's her truma, that's her mitzvah gift. Yeah. That she wants, this is how she contributes to the war effort. She has a list of names. She takes that list super seriously, as you're saying. It's like she wants to know that the names on those lists, it matters to her in a positive way. Right, because she is pouring her heart and soul into her Tehillim for the Chayalim, so she means it in the most sincere way possible. And my friend in Israel is coming at it from Johnny's perspective of like, like she's like, we're in a war. Who cares if the guy is in or out? It's like the individual. It's not about the 
external gift. It's the she. It's like what you said, like the individual person and what they're doing, and like it's like okay, I'll end with this. But last week. Um, my son was out for Shabbos and like, you know, we're singing Smiros. Then he starts singing like other songs and he starts singing Bilvavi, you know, Lener Tamid. And he's, I'm like, okay, we can't sing that song because of the, you know, the carbon and Nafshi Lener Tamid. And I was like, nope, no singing that. Right. Because none of the like people like we, we, we're so worried. Are so, we feel like our soldiers are, are, are like, that's what they're doing. It's like they're, 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 they're willing to give of their whole selves. So for my friend who had a, who had a chayal, she's like, he's giving of his whole self all the time. So like what Johnny just said really helped me understand each side of that and, and help me have like a greater appreciation for the connection and not see it as a, as a conflict, even though the truth is that there was a little bit of annoyance between the two of them. But now I'm like, Okay, now I can see the bridge. And so, like, I really appreciate those words because it helped me bridge a divide. And I thought that was a nice way to end because that's what we should be striving for is to figure out how to identify and then bridge the, those divides. So we should be more considerate of the other. We should understand. I, I think also it's important, as, as all of us, we all have relationships with people uh, in, in Israel, outside of Israel. We're in to people outside and people outside in. It's important just to be aware that we're having different experiences and to understand and come from that perspective. Not be, like exactly like Mali said, how could they say that? But to say, oh, like they're coming in from there. They're doing the best that they can with the, what they're going through. And uh, like I've had relatives call me up and say, how can Israel be doing this and that? And like, it's annoying, but I understand, try to understand where it's coming from. And at the same time, I would say to people there, try to get more connected to Israeli media, try to get connected to more what's going on here, try to join groups of people in Israel. You can join a Facebook group. You can join WhatsApp groups of people. You'll begin to understand a little bit more what it is that we're going through, even among uh, people living, even among people uh, in English. You'll start to understand it a lot, lot better. Okay, we're going to stop here. I want to thank Molly and Johnny for uh, making the time. I want to thank my son for making our music. You can find us on Facebook, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a review. It helps other people find us. Um, and that, I think that's about it. Have a great week, everybody. Bye now. Bye.